0: Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas, brought to you by Carrier. Turn to the experts.
1: Time to head up to Dent. Hello, Jim. Yes, sir. I got a
0: question for you. I've got uh, a cracked shower floor, and it doesn't really have a shower pan. It's like one solid shower unit. Okay. And I've looked at maybe trying to get a shower repair kit or one of the floor inlays for that that you can put down. Right. Or it's we've been in the house 18 years, and I I think the inlay thing that you put down is like a hundred dollars. But I don't know if I, if that's a good idea, or should we just think about <clears throat> having a professional replace the whole shower?
1: What are the walls made out of?
0: Of the shower, it's uh, all fiberglass.
1: Okay, so the or plastic, it, yeah, yeah, is the is it all one unit or is there it, a, a seam?
0: No, but it's the, all it's all one unit. There's okay. not a seam between the floor and the the walls.
1: Yep. If if uh, that floor has cracked, uh, it's it's time to replace the whole thing.
0: Okay. So you don't think the inlay or something like that would probably just a, that would be a temporary fix, maybe?
1: It, it not even uh, because, not even okay. Yeah, you know because then you're trying to seal it from the walls, and it right. it's, it just doesn't doesn't hold up.
0: Okay, so just time to replace the whole shower, I guess. Yep. And do you have any recommendations of who we could use for that? But, uh,
1: uh, I don't know who to
0: call right off time, I and mean, I can I can hunt, but I'm... Yeah,
1: i Yeah, I actually don't have the name of anybody for up in Denton, uh, but I will tell you, I would take a look at some material f- called Onyx, O-N-Y-X. Okay. And uh, they have dealers in different areas, installers in different areas. Okay. And that product... You know, they'll be able to come in, tear the old shower out, put that product in, and have a turnkey for you in probably a day.
0: Really? That sounds good. Okay. Okay, I'll look that up. Onyx, O-N-Y-X. Yep. Yes, sir. Thank you so much.
1: You bet. Take care.
0: You too. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: And again, our number, 1-800-288-9227. That's 1-800-288-9227. And the reason I say that's not repairable on those... On those uh, one-piece showers, you know, a lot of them are fiberglass, some of them are synthetic. But once they crack, y- you can't get underneath in order to put anything to support it up. So uh, when that base does crack, every time you step on it, even though you've put something over the surface of it, you're pushing down where that crack can open up and it breaks that bond loose and it leaks and it just causes problems. It, they're just... Uh, They're just not repairable, and that's the reason I say just tear it out and put in a new one. Diane, how are you today? I'm good. Fine. How are you? Doing wonderful. Uh, I have a question
2: about uh, wood flooring. My daughter uh, owns a very nice home in McKinney, and uh, it's about two years old, and it came with the builder's carpet. And they're thinking about putting all wood floors down in the uh, main level. Um, and there's such a difference, you know, hardwood, engineered hardwood, and now vinyl comes up a lot. Um, yeah. I know years ago vinyl wasn't so good, but apparently it's, it's come a long way. What are your thoughts on um, vinyl and what type of vinyl if they choose to go that route?
1: You know, vinyl floors are actually very nice floors nowadays. Uh, and, and if you get the higher end ones, I mean, you can't hardly tell it. It's not wood. Uh, You you can get the same going with a tile wood plank nowadays as well. So that may be another option. But uh, I'll be honest with you, my personal preference is still wood. And I like the engineered wood floors because they're floating. Uh, So you can put a vapor barrier down in order to deal with moisture that comes up through the concrete. And the floor then can float on top of that vapor barrier and uh, it really minimizes problems.
2: Okay, so you prefer still the uh, the engineered?
1: I do. No, I prefer real but now, wood, the, but I don't like real the, wood glued onto a concrete slab. And, Diane, if you don't mind, okay, I'm going to put you on hold because I, I want to finish addressing this with you when, when we come back. Uh, when we left, we were talking with Diane in McKinney, and so we were talking about I do like man-made floors, and I'll be honest. I have a, a man-made wood floor in my own house. I will also tell you I my ultimate would be to have a all wood floor. I love wood floors. Um I'm not a fan though of gluing them down onto concrete. And that's the reason I typically go with an engineered on a concrete floor.
2: Okay, now I have in my house I have nailed down, you know, hardwood floors uh than right.
1: ten years ago. So and, what is
2: the difference between that and the engineered? Because the engineered is still wood, right? Just not as thick wood?
1: That is correct. Uh, the engineered wood floor has a basically a, sh- a piece of plywood with a uh, veneer of the wood on top. And usually you got to be careful when you're buying it because some of them you can't sand at all. Some of them you can sand multiple times. Like the one I've got in my own house, uh, when I bought it, it supposedly could be sanded five times. I don't see being able to sand it five times, but... Yeah, you mine can, too, yeah. Yeah, you can sand it and refinish it. Uh, where <clears throat> with an all-wood floor, you can easily do that. With the, man, with the engineered wood floors, you've got to watch that you don't get carried away with the sanding.
2: Okay. But price-wise, um, the engineered versus a very high-quality vinyl, is there a big difference?
1: Not really. They're they're really? actually okay. they're actually pretty close in in price nowadays.
2: Okay, so your recommendation would be to go with the engineered. Uh,
1: in most cases, now let, let me ask you a couple of quick questions. Any pets in the house? Yes. Dogs. Dogs. Yes. Yeah. See the those uh, those vinyl plank floors. They actually yep. will hold up better to the dog nails and stuff than a wood floor will.
2: Oh, okay, okay.
1: They, they don't scratch.
2: So how do I find out which is the top quality of vinyl, wood floors?
1: Oh, uh, you know, a lot of times you can tell by the, the even the brands and stuff, but the thickness and, and how rigid it is. Um, Wilson Art is one that I've used that I know is, is a good brand. But if you go by one of the floor and decor locations, and I know you have one out there in McKinney uh, that I've been Mm -hmm. to several times, they've they've got some of them.
2: Okay. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your help. Appreciate it.
1: You bet. You take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. I have a small stone pad that was added to the back of my house. What was used was flat stone that was placed on the ground and then mortared together. This was done a number of years ago. I heard your discussion about a company who could come in and pour or place a stone slurry, I assumed, over the top of this pad, which I hope would add support and improve the look and eliminate my trying to fix each year can you please let me know the name of the firm who would be able to help okay what you're talking about is create stone and honestly it's not going to fix what you're asking about that base pad that you have down right now that is the that would become the the base of whatever they were going to apply and so if your base is moving it's going to continue to move and their their material just isn't going to change that. If you want to do it right, what you more than likely need to do is take that out completely and pour concrete base down for what you're needing to do because you can take that down into the ground a little ways. That will help stabilize it. Then have them put their material over the top of it. Uh, and on a situation like what you've got, uh, they would use be using a quartz overlay at Create Stone, and that would really make it look sharp. But it all depends on the base being up to speed, you know, being strong enough to handle it and that's really where it comes in let's head over to fort worth and lance this is jim welcome to texas home improvement
3: yes sir just wanted to ask a question my wife and i are fixing to remodel the kitchen and we're trying to decide what to do for countertops just wanted your opinion on like quartz versus granite versus quartzite what you feel is the best option out there for durability and ease of maintenance
1: do you do a lot of cooking or do you guys eat out a lot
3: Uh, We do a lot of cooking.
1: Okay. I tell people all the time, if you're going to do a lot of cooking, go with like the quartz or the man-made materials. Uh, Granite looks gorgeous, but it's rather porous, and it gets material down into it. Like if you get uh, beef blood on it, for instance, it can actually soak into the granite and stain it where if you use a silestone or or something like that that's a man-made, you don't have those issues to worry about, and it still looks gorgeous. So uh, in a situation typically where people are doing a lot of cooking and and eating at home, I I recommend the man-made materials.
3: Okay. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you very
1: much. You bet. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And and I I will say uh, on that, you can put sealers and stuff on the granites. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but for ease of maintenance in those situations, the, the the man-mades are easier to use. Ed, welcome to WBAP. How can I help you?
3: Hey,
0: Jim. How are you today?
1: I'm doing wonderful. How about you?
0: Good. I'm doing good. We used your service, uh, Due West Foundation, when I was on Blackland in Grosbeck. And now we're moving to Franklin. We have deep sand, and I'd like to know how to set up a foundation and not have to use your service.
1: Why, you don't want me to feed my kids? (laughs) No, I'm teasing you.
0: (laughs) I do, and I don't want to have to be the one to do it, too.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Actually, on sand, you have very few foundation problems as compared to being on the black land. The black land is an expansive soil. Uh, When it dries out, it shrinks. When it gets wet, it expands again, but not as much as it was. Sand doesn't do that. Uh, Sand is is a lot more stable. The only thing you have to watch on the sand is if you oversaturate it and it's got any loose areas, it will shift around a little bit and, and compact. But in general, if you take your foundation down into the original soil, where it hasn't been messed with, you actually shouldn't have any foundation problems to worry about. That's great. Let's head out to the champions. And Amy, this is Jim. How can I help you?
2: Hi, Jim. Um, okay, I have a wet slab. And so the concrete floor that I put over it and that we had painted beautifully is chipping away. What can I do?
1: You're not going to like my answer. Oh, darn. Yeah. Once you got moisture coming up from underneath, uh, if it's peeling that floor up with pressure from underneath, um, there's not a whole lot you're going to do that's going to stop that. Now, where's the moisture coming from? Do you have areas of standing water around the house after it rains or anything?
2: No, they assume that the house is so old that maybe the um, feel like whatever's put underneath the foundation the rip barrier,
1: yeah. Yeah, and, and engineers love to blame it on that and that's not what the those that plastic was originally for. It was to keep the the soil from taking the moisture out of the new concrete so fast and drying it so fast that it cracked. Uh but now we use it as a moisture barrier as well and it don't do real well at that. Okay, so here, here, give me. Let me give you a, f- a few things. One, okay. you want to have three to four inches of, of concrete showing all the way around the house. Uh, that means you don't want okay. to mulch up any higher than that and stuff, because that keeps the moisture levels down, lower, away from where where the surface of your concrete is, and it minimizes the the hydrostatic pressure of the moisture coming up through it. And so, check, make sure you got that. Beyond that, there's not if you still have moisture coming up through the concrete, uh, you know, make sure you don't have sewer leaks that are adding moisture to the soil because that also can push the moisture coming up. And if you've got an old cast iron system, that very well could be what's causing the problem. Beyond that, you're going to end up putting a new floor over the top of that.
2: So, what are my options on flooring? Yeah,
1: uh, obviously you can go with a carpet because uh, the air conditioning will keep the carpet in good shape. Uh, you could go with a um, tile floor because the moisture wouldn't affect the tile floor. Uh, if you go, if you want to go with a wood floor, it's going to depend on how much moisture you're getting coming up through that concrete. I would not under any circumstance, put a glue-down wood floor at the very—about uh, the only wood floor I would look at would be a floating wood floor with a vapor barrier under it. And you're probably looking okay. at an engineered wood floor with a vapor barrier under it, and that'll give you maximum protection.
2: Okay. Okay. Well, that
1: gives me some options. Thank you so much. You bet. You take care. You too. Bye. Bye-bye and and this is a this is a huge problem right now in the Houston area moisture coming up through the concrete i mean we've just had so much rain this year i don't know about the rest of you but i'm i'm ready for the rains to stop uh jerry has a train system that i believe you said was what 12 years old yes and and uh, you're considering looking at changing it out can i ask you i guess my first question would be why is is it, is it uh, acting up or anything yet?
3: No, it isn't, Jim. It's just... Uh, it's been performing very well, but I, I was just thinking of the economics of the thing with the variable okay. speed and...
1: And I will tell you, those variable speeds are amazing. I mean, you don't... In, in normal operations, you don't even hear the thing running hardly. Uh, now... I'm, I'm an American Standard dealer, and uh, so that's the systems I'm very familiar with. But uh, I will tell you that Train, because you asked about American Standard, Train and American Standard are actually made on the same assembly line. Uh, oh. the, the only difference on them is they change the cover of the systems when they're coming down the line, they're, they're sister companies.
3: Okay, so there's no advantage, or no well, by staying with train to train, you could go from train to carrier or train to American Standard. And it, are you it, it, are,
1: are you going to keep the same it, inside unit, or are you going to change the complete system?
3: Well, uh, that I go, don't know. I, if you're going
1: to go very, var- <clears throat> excuse me, if you're going to go variable speed, you would have to change the inside as well. If is you're going right? to stay,
3: but that includes the heat exchanger and everything. That's
1: or? that's everything, yes, sir. Everything. Uh, but if you were going to go with a single speed, then you could just change the uh, compressor, you know, the outside unit and and be done with it. But uh, and and you could get some energy efficiency out of that. But going to a variable speed like you're talking about, I mean, you, you, the way they class those is. Uh, when it that it's running at full blast well let's face it the majority of the time it's not running at full blast it's it's running more like 40 percent or 30 percent of full blast but they're not allowed to say what that energy consumption is based on that they have to run it as though it's running full blast all the time and that's where those systems really reduce your energy bills uh, because that system stays on just a little bit all the time, keeps the temperature controlled and the humidity controlled. And usually you're going to be, op- you know, if you buy, say, an uh, an 18-seer system that's variable speed, you've probably got a system that most of the time is operating more like a 26-seer. I mean, they are really energy efficient.
3: So, you wouldn't get the full advantage unless you replace the entire system.
1: That is correct.
3: Okay. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate that.
1: Stephen Friendswood sent in a gutter question. And, I, I, you know, especially with all the rains we've been having, I, I know a lot of drainage and gutter stuff. So he says, Jim, do you have an opinion on leafless gutters, leaf guard or the type that have a screen over them? If. You're putting in new gutters and you don't have a bunch of pine trees around the house. You got oaks and you know, magnolias and all these other type of larger leaf trees. I would take a look at either Leaf Guard or Guttermax, one of those that have the hard shell type top on the gutter. The screens are okay, but the problem is things do get hung up in those screens. And that's the reason I prefer the, the hard top. Now, if you have existing gutters and you want to make it where you know the, the leaves and stuff aren't getting trapped in those, uh, gutter brush. Take a look at gutter brush. You can go to gutterbrush.com and, and take a look at that. It's a great alternative, but for putting in new gutters, yeah, either leaf guard or, like I say, gutter max, either one of those will do you a great job. And the reason I was being specific about pine needles. They can still follow the water in around that corner, uh, and and still cause some issues. So uh, you got to look a little bit about what you're trying to keep out of the gutter as well. So hopefully that'll help you out out there. And I, I know in Friendswood, you know we're not you're not overly loaded with pine trees. It's it's typically oaks and uh, mulberry and stuff like that out there. This is from Matthew in Weatherford. Mr Dutton, my wife and I are looking at new home construction in Parker County. What is your opinion on solar and GHP for energy production? Is there an an actual return on investment for the products? This is a broad question with lots of possible answers. Really, I'm just curious about the basic question of are they worth it? I know this is an opinion question and that it's That's what I'm looking for, Matthew. Well, Matthew, I'll be honest with you. Solar typically only makes sense when you either get rebates or tax credits because it's extremely expensive. It has a useful life typically of about 25 years. And in most cases, you don't finish paying for it when they set it up on these payment plans until you're into it twelve to fifteen years now the one spot where where I will say that they are correct in that uh, the cost of electricity keeps going up, and you are somewhat fixing your cost of electricity, but are you gonna truly be saving enough that offsets the cost of these products now, well' Yes, you normally are at a break even break even. Break even for several years and then you do start saving a little bit only because the cost of energy keeps going up. Now, I'm not sure which part of uh GHP you're talking about because you know, geothermal air conditioning is a good example. It costs more to put in than a regular air conditioning system, but it lasts longer. Uh, You know, regular air conditioning systems, they typically tell you 10 to 15 years. Well, on a geothermal system, your your average life is a lot of times 25 years. So it's going to last a lot longer, even though it does cost more. And you're going to save quite a bit on the energy bill because you're typically not running a compressor for cooling and all that stuff. The geothermal is, is cycling, and so you're running a pump and blower motors and and uh, so uh, are they cost effective? In a sense, they are, but they do cost more up front. So it takes longer, again, just like on solar to get the return on investment. The bigger problem you run into these things is there's so few people that can work on them. And that's really where we're running into ma- major issues. Now on solar panels, you know, there's a lot of companies who can work on them. But the issue you run into those is every time you got to replace a roof, if they put it on the roof, all those panels got to come off, and then be reinstalled. So if you have the option to put them out in a yard or something, I would take that option uh, over putting it on the roof because then you don't have the reoccurring expenses of removal and replace, you know, reinstallation. But in general. Look at your rebates and look at your tax credits. Apply that to it, and usually you come out okay. Uh, Without those, a lot of times you're upside down. And then it's just there to make you feel good that you're helping the environment. This comes from Edward, and he says, Can radiant barrier be used on exterior walls that already have Tyvek installed? Absolutely. Tyvek is not anything that is a energy barrier. It is a vapor barrier, uh, and basically, what Tyvek does is, if it rains, it's not going to let the water through, but it does let humidity pass through it, moisture pass through it. So a house can still breathe. Um, you know, uh, in northern states, they use plastic. We can't do that here because the plastic would sweat. Uh, But the Tyvek still keeps the rain out and keeps water out, but not the vapors. And so, yes, a radiant barrier absolutely can still be used. Make sure it's a perforated radiant barrier, though, because that same issue as far as sweating, if you don't use a perforated radiant barrier, you can run into that type of issue. It's not near as bad as if you use plastic but uh, it it can cause issues if you want to talk to somebody who really knows radiant barriers and everything uh, call the folks over at energy q radiant barrier talk with mark delgado Uh, he he knows all the ins and outs that's a radiant barrier uh, company i use for everything great product and it'll truly get you taken care of how can we remove paint from brick fireplace with least amount of mess well, it's going to depend on what you're calling least amount of mess, because it doesn't matter what you do, it's going to be a mess on a fireplace. So, and and especially since we're talking inside. So here's your choices. You can do a chemical strip. I will tell you up front, that does make a mess, and you're going to have odors to go with it. Now, when you do a chemical strip, you basically you apply the chemical and the... Um, Paint will blister off and you have to scrape it off. And so a lot's going to depend on how porous your paint is or your brick is and, and how the paint embedded into it. One of the other choices is to basically sandblast it off using like walnut or pecan shells as the sandblasting, not sand. Uh, and that does less harm to the brick and will allow you to peel the paint off again going to be a little messy so those are going to be actually your two big ways to try to take it off the third recommendation if the paint is on there and you don't like the color repaint it with a different color that that you're happy with and in some cases you can actually uh you know roll the brick uh facing and make that look good and and then paint the uh Lines in between, uh, you know, the 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 mortar lines, and that will give you the appearance of real brick because it it can give you all the texture and everything. And quite frankly, that's going to be your least messy way to do it. And and in order to do that, take a roller. Uh, well, the first thing I would do is is paint the the coat. Uh, completely with whatever color you want using a real heavy nap roller that'll get down into the mortar lines then you go over it after it dries with a second coat of whatever color primary color you want the brick to be but you use a short nap roller and that'll give you the ability to have the the dual colors without having to do a bunch of hand Hopefully that helps you out.